and We Will Be Done with Jonah. It's been a book I've enjoyed thoroughly. I hope it's blessed you as much as it has me. Last week, you'll remember, we picked back up in Jonah. Uh, This was his second opportunity to go to the people of Nineveh. God had given him a second chance. We know all about his story of redemption from the depths of the fish's belly. This time Jonah goes to Nineveh. He obeys God's direction. He walks throughout the city proclaiming God's word. He himself, a living example of exactly what he's preaching to them, of being on the verge of destruction unless you repent, unless you turn to God. Jonah was a living example of one that was dead because of the choices that he had made. But when he turned to God, he found forgiveness and was redeemed. This is exactly what God was proclaiming to the people of Nineveh. He wanted them to turn, to look to him, to be saved, and to take advantage of this opportunity. And that's exactly what they did. And we'll pick up in verse 7, Jonah chapter 3. We covered 7 last week, but we'll read it just as we jump into verse 8 down through the rest of the chapter. In Jonah 3, verse 7, Says and we and he the king caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Last week we finished verse 7 of this passage and began into verse 8, and we see that this proclamation, this word that Jonah was preaching, was what had the impact, obviously by the power of God, by the Spirit of God. But we think of all that happens, all that transpires in this world of What is so grand and and visible and these wonderful displays of just things, talents, skills, abilities, whatever it may be. But it was the simple preaching of the word of God that changed the people of Nineveh. Jonah was obedient to go and to proclaim it and declare it. And that's what changed them. So the king was changed. He turned to his people. He proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by a decree saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let them be covered with sackcloth and cry out mightily. The king wanted this opportunity to be taken seriously. He was recognizing this was a chance for them to turn and potentially avoid the punishment from God. It was a matter of the heart. The king ordered them to turn from their evil, their violence. The Hebrew word for wickedness or evil here refers to moral depravity, while the word violence refers to morally depraved or oppressive force. This was one of the things that Nineveh was known for. They were known for cruel practices, especially to prisoners of war. These were violent, destructive people. In Isaiah, we won't turn there, but we see a description even of Israel when they were separated from God. The acts of violence that were in their hands, their feet running to evil, they make haste to shed innocent blood. This was a description of the flesh, the the violence, the vileness of the flesh is the same, whether it's Nineveh, Israel, or us. We understand that in our flesh there is no good thing. Nothing good dwells 
within us. And as we come to realize, that's when we turn to the Lord and we cry out to him. Again, some of us were saved at very early ages. Um, As I've said multiple times throughout this lesson and throughout my time of being here with you all, you understand my testimony. I was 16 years old when I came to know the Lord. And at 16 years old, I understood that, you know, I wasn't a criminal. I wasn't a thug or any of those sorts of things. But I wasn't good. I was getting straight A's in school. I was doing the right things. But inside, I was empty, void, and crumbling. And when you come to that place in your life, whether you're four years old and you may not understand that weight and gravity of what you may as an older person, you have a peace and realization that all this weight, all this burden that I'm carrying, I can give over to the Lord. These ways of my flesh, I can give over to him. I can lay them at his feet and be changed and be transformed. The king wanted this for his people. He was realizing this himself in real time, understanding, wow, I've been, I've been and done wrong. Turn from the violence that is in your hands, in our hands collectively, and turn to God that he might relent and turn away his anger. Again, his just anger that he was understanding was coming towards them. He was seeking that God would relent, that he would show pity, that he would console the king and his people. We understand that God's character is unchanging, but he does allow people to make choices, to be a part of his plan, to surrender, to turn from their ways and their ways of destruction, their paths of destruction, and turn unto him. God's promise to bless repentance points to his grace, his desire that none should perish. It doesn't point to God's sovereign plan ever being in question. Again, we know that. Job explains that to us. He says, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld. Paul in Ephesians tells us that we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is exactly what God wanted for these people, these Gentile people that He was turning to, that Jonah was reluctant to turn to. Jonah understood their violence. As we we talked about early on in our lesson, one of the hesitations that Jonah likely had is that he understood these were his people's enemies, that destruction from their hands had come and would come further, and that they were vile, that they were wicked. God's power was to show, God's choice was to show Nineveh that if you forsake your wicked ways and turn to him, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is a relenting. This is well-pleasing to the Lord when we turn from our ways. We can go to Acts 26 and we can see this carried into the New Testament in an example of the Apostle Paul, who himself was a living example. From Saul breathing threats of violence out against God's people to being the apostle of the church age. In Acts 26, we'll read verses 19 and 20, where it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting of repentance. This is essentially the same exact message that Jonah was bringing to Nineveh. Turn to God. Leave your ways behind. Jonah and Jesus, again, pictures there, both appeared low and friendless among their hearers, both victims 
to death for God's wrath against sin. Again, Jonah was brought upon himself. The Lord chose. Both preaching repentance. And when Christ died, you would think that in his times, and and he, he mentioned the sign of Jonah, even as those were proclaiming, clamoring for a miracle to prove who he was. He said, I'll give you the sign of Jonah. And you would think that as, that, as this is unfolding, as these so-called Pharisees, Sadducees, these religious experts, if you will, to understand this, what he is saying in the sign of Jonah, this is what's unfolding right before their very eyes. This offer of redemption, this offer of hope, this offer of joy and peace and everlasting life in God through Christ. Praise God for his death, his burial, his resurrection that gives us life, that gives us reconciliation back to our almighty creator. Going on now to verse 10, God saw their works. He saw their hearts change and he relented. God sparing Nineveh when on the verge of destruction and on the act of repentance should encourage us and others who may be timid to show that God is gracious, that God is kind when we come to him and we fall down before him. He loves, he comforts, he restores. It also shows that Israel's downfall is attributed to their own unwillingness to repent, not the unwillingness of God to forgive on his part, though he is the one that often is blamed. God is sovereign, he is all-knowing, he is full of grace and compassion. In Jeremiah 18, we see this, that if a nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evils, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Again, I've said multiple times throughout the study that one of the overarching themes of the book of Jonah and really the book, the entire book of the Bible is God's grace. We see God's grace upon grace upon grace to these people, to Jonah himself. As we looked at last week, this, the portion of this account of where Nineveh hears and receives the word is a far, far greater miracle than that of a giant fish swallowing Jonah. Jonah living in the belly of that fish for three days. Again, that is miraculous. There's there's no doubt about it. But the far greater miracle here is the miracle, the work that is done in the hearts of these individuals. In our lives, there is no greater miracle than that work of repentance, that work of transformation that the Lord does in our hearts. Again, we talked about how we want to see these big, spectacular things but it comes down to the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith grows. Our understanding, our love, our knowledge grows as we come into the word, as we allow the spirit to work in us, to change us, to transform us, to work that greatest miracle of all. Again, we all love to see outward manifestations of this, but how greater when our heart is changed, transformed, and grown in the presence of the Lord. In our walk, it's shown out in our testimony as we bear fruit unto the Lord. Again, as we look and we wrap up chapter 3 here, we'll be going to chapter 4 next. If you want to start turning that direction back to Jonah 4, you would think, you would anticipate, again, you have all read this account of Jonah, but let's pretend for a moment that you hadn't. I would have great anticipation heading into chapter 4 that that what had just happened, Jonah went and preached to these people. They repented. The king declared, let's, as a nation, let's come together and turn to the Lord. My anticipation, not knowing what I know, 
would be coming into chapter 4 that Jonah is doing cartwheels, that he's ecstatic, that the Lord has brought about exactly what he had sent him to do. But we know as we transition to chapter 4, if your Bible has titles, I don't know what it may be labeled in yours, but my beginning of chapter 4 in my Bible is titled Jonah's Anger and God's Kindness. Again, talk about throwing you for a loop. It's not at all what I would expect reading if I was reading this as a novel or something like that. Of Wow, we're coming to this climax. Exactly what they wanted to happen had come to pass. And then, right, plot twist. No, Jonah is angry. How can he be angry? As I turn to this chapter, I feel like the, the wind gets knocked out of you because you're so excited that the Lord is doing such a great work. And then we see the flesh that's always there, that's always carrying around. And I, as I was studying this, I was thinking about that picture that, that Greg showed in one of his lessons some time ago. I think it was an elk that had butted heads with another elk and had that, that rack stuck right in front of it and that picture of the flesh that's just always right before our faces. Unfortunately, it was still there in Jonah. Let's go to four. Chapter 4, we'll read the first three verses. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to live, or excuse me, it is better for me to die than to live. I was describing this passage in a, in a recent conversation that this, this three verses is extremely emotional to me. As I, as I read it, I have so many different emotions reading that and studying that over the last couple of weeks. I have this joy, and then I have this pain. I have this, this sorrow, and then there's part of me that's angry at Jonah for his reaction. And then there's the, the heaviness the heaviness that came through self-reflection in myself and thinking about my flesh and what I get angry about and what I get displeased about in my own life. And I found myself as now just weeping and thinking, this is just a short passage, but there's so many emotions packed in here. And as I was trying to put into words, I was almost left speechless. And I know you guys probably are hoping, oh, he's speechless, that means we're, we're done but almost speechless, I've got a few things to say. As I, I thought about this, I was trying to put into my head, you know, there's just times when you, you maybe, let's use the example of being a parent and a child, where you, you give your children everything, you're, you're doing everything to supply their need, to bring them joy, happiness, fulfillment, all those things, and you just see a complete disregard and insolence on their part of, I don't want any part of this. I don't care what you've done. I don't care that you had to go to work this week to put food on the table. And I could get on a soapbox of being a parent. The Lord gives us so much. The Lord had given so much to Jonah, and he essentially just crossed his arms and said, See, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. This is what I said was going to happen because, by golly, you're, what does it say here? You're a gracious and merciful God slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness. And maybe I'm putting the wrong inflection there. But can you imagine having this conversation? Can you imagine saying those words yourselves? And maybe you haven't 
actually uttered those words, but as you get into those moments of self-reflection before the Lord, have we ever harbored those thoughts in our heart with the Lord? Again, let's go to um, the New Testament in Luke. We've looked at different passages of the prodigal son uh, throughout this study, and I think we see here just a a good relation, a good tie-in to what's going on here in Jonah. In Luke 15, we'll read verses 28 through 30. It says, But he was angry and would not go in. This is the older son. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. I would question that probably. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came home, who, was de- who had devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Again, Jonah being pictured here as the, the prodigal son's brother should have been longing for the repentance of Nineveh, knowing himself what he had just been through, the experience that he had just lived in the belly of that fish. Again, he should have been seeking for their repentance, praying for their repentance. In our own lives, despite the personality differences we have with those we may work with, those we may come in contact with, our desire should be that they come to know the Lord if they do not. Our desire should be that they would repent and turn to the Lord and that we, when given the opportunity, would take that opportunity to live before them, to tell them of this great grace that they are missing out on, this love, this joy, this peace that can be theirs, longing for everyone to know our Savior. Yet Jonah became angry, and this isn't the the last time we will see him angry. We'll see three more times in this chapter where he becomes angry. And the thought is what it is. It means to glow, to grow warm, to blaze up, to be zealous, angry, uh, to burn, or to be displeased. Jonah was angry. And as I was going through Scripture, just looking for some of the first instances of anger or being angry that I could find, no surprise, it goes all the way back to Genesis, to the first family. In Genesis 4 and 5, it says, But he did not respect Cain's Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Again, so much that we could get into here, but all the way back to the beginning of time, the flesh was there, the anger was there. Has anything changed since Cain? Are these not feelings and emotions that we see in our lives, in our families, in our co workers, in ourselves still today? The flesh is still the same. It is still irrational. It is still self-righteous. Why are you angry? Again, this question I think is asking why God is asking, why are you angry? What right do you have to be angry? Again, not just to, to prove a point and to say, you know, you know, you have no right to be angry, but God asked so that there will be understanding. Cain, let's think about this. Let's think through this. Why are you angry? It's because of the choices that you made. Your disobedience, nothing that I, God, had done. The same is true for Jonah as God goes through in dealing with Jonah. Why? Do you have any right to be angry? And we see the grace, thinking back to the prodigal son, what did he respond to his son? He said, he said to his son, you are, are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and is found. 
Just as these Ninevites were, there should have been merry, joy, gladness on Jonah's part, but he was not. Our anger is in vain and in direct rebellion to God and who he is, and, and so much it's rooted in that flesh and that displeasure of something that's happening to us or some choice or some consequence of something that we decided to do. We become the victim, and, and we won't get into that victim mentality, but it's so easy to fall into just as a human being. So often we think everything is against us when just something small doesn't go right. Jonah, in his anger, he did turn to God in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 4. said, so in his anger, Jonah prayed. Again, that's a good place to come to. When, when we're angry, when we're, we're flailing about, it's good to come into the presence of the Lord. But again, we need to come into his presence in the right headspace. We need to understand when we're angry, we shouldn't be angry at God. When, when things aren't going the way that we want, there's no better place to come than before the throne of Jesus. But we need to come in our right headspace, understanding his character, that his grace and his mercy, the things that Jonah was using as an accusation to him are things that are great, great benefit to us. Moses experienced this in Exodus, and we won't flip over there, but for time's sake, understanding Moses after, after the tablets were broken and, and putting a new set together here, he cried out himself, the Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Again, what sweet, sweet words for us when we understand who we are. And again, I remember, I think Brother David is the, the author of this, this quote, that we are better, we are not better than them, but we are better off. Again, our flesh is our flesh. But because we are children of God, we are better off because we understand his grace and his mercy. In Psalm 78, you can write that one down as well, that many a time he has turned his anger away from us. He remembered that we were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. God understands who we are. He created us. The mercy and loving kindness that he was showing through Jonah to the people of Nineveh was something that Jonah himself was living and experiencing in his life in that moment. It is something that we live and experience each and every day. Jonah continues on in his pity party. In verse 3 there, he says, take my life. Again, Moses himself and, and Elijah, and I, I brought this up in a lesson this summer. Moses, again, being despondent, says, this burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Elijah said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Again, there is a contrast here between Elijah, Moses, and Jonah. Jonah was angry for showing mercy. Elijah and Moses were despondent. They were, they were weighted down. They were overburdened with what they felt the Lord was calling them to do. Again, when we feel weighted down and overburdened, cast down, despondent, we have the throne of grace to turn to. Understanding that our life always has meaning. Our life has purpose. Our breath has purpose, even in the moment when we can't see it. Understanding what the Lord has told us, that the very hairs of our head are numbered. There's a deep, intricate love that he has for each one of us. Paul tells the Philippians, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is gain to die, but only in his time after we have Breathe the breath that he has given us to breathe, to live the life that he's given us to live, to do the works that he has given us to work. 
This life is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to speak, to preach the word as Jonah did, to live before those who desperately need what the Lord brings, this graciousness, this mercy, this love. Closing out this morning in verse 4 of Jonah 4, it says, Is it right for you to be angry? And again, the Lord asks this question to Jonah, and at times I'm sure you may have been asked it yourself. I know I have. When we look at our lives and we question what might be going on, again, it's not that we have perfect understanding. It's not that we always have 100% clarity in what the Lord is doing. But we can trust. We can yield. We can surrender. Because he is the master potter. He is forming, molding, making us just exactly how he wants to. His work is perfect. He works all things together for our good. In trials, again, when we think, why me? Why this? Why now? Those are, those are natural feelings. They're not feelings that we can just put aside and hide and pretend like they don't exist in our lives, of, of understanding why is this happening. But we don't have to understand it by our own might, by our own strength. We simply need to yield and allow the Lord, by the Spirit of God, to minister to us, to speak to us, if nothing more, to just give us peace, to understand everything's going to be all right. God is still God. He is still working. And that is what ultimately he is teaching Jonah here in this fourth chapter. And we will finish up chapter four and this study next week. Lord bless you.